baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Beyond Black History Month. I'm your host, Femi Redwood. Run DMC was one of the most iconic hip-hop groups and one of its founding members... You can call me Daryl, you can call me D, you can call me Daryl Beck, you can call me DMC. ...is still influencing the culture today. After achieving legend status in hip-hop, Daryl McDaniels took his storytelling to comic books, then cartoons, and possibly as early as next year, he wants to start a new Comic-Con, one that's different from the rest. This is the type of inclusivity many fantasy and comic book fans want, saying when all voices aren't represented, the fandom, studios, and creatives lose. And in the same way Run DMC influenced music worldwide, that's what Daryl and other black folks in fandom are trying to do in the comic space. And it may seem odd. I mean, he's this 80s icon. What is he doing immersed in comics? But he says hip-hop and comics are a different game, but the same hustle. People always ask me, what does my name mean? These for never dirty, MC for Mr. Clean. The thick black glasses and fat gold chain are gone, but Daryl is still a wordsmith. But sometimes I tell them when certain people ask that DMC means that Daryl makes cash or Daryl makes comics. All he did as a kid was read, collect, and draw comic books, the latter as early as kindergarten. That creativity was poured into his music when he became a teenaged rapper in his Hollis Queens neighborhood. But make no mistake, he was a blurred, aka a black nerd at heart. I wasn't shouting out Queens to rep my hood. Where's Peter Parker from? I'm not telling them from Queens for a DMC thing. I want all the other people to know I'm from Queens with Spider-Man is. Fast forward to 2014 when he entered into the comic industry with his first project, Daryl Makes Comics. I'm not rapping. I'm a teacher who discovers he has superpowers. In this world, my superpower is hip-hop and rock and roll that I use to beat down the bad guys and make sure everybody is okay. You can hear his excitement, which is ironic considering he initially turned down the opportunity to create a comic book. I go, nope. I didn't want the world thinking just because I had a couple of hit records, I could do anything. Especially considering often when things are commercialized, it's destroyed or diluted. I did not want to be disrespectful or represent the culture in a bad way. I don't want to sell comic books just to make money. Then he realized two things. The same way hip hop is a part of him, comics was his first love. Plus, comic culture and rap culture are synonymous, starting with how they both revolve around storytelling. How else is rap similar to comic books? First, the name. Stanley taught me. As in Stanley, the creator of X-Men, Spider-Man, Black Panther, the list goes on. Stanley taught me to find yourself with an adjective and tell the world who you are. For example, the amazing Spider-Man, the incredible Hulk, 
the invincible Iron Man and the mighty Thor. So I was like, if Spider-Man could be amazing, if Thor could be mighty, if Hulk could be incredible, and Iron Man could be invincible, then Daryl McDaniel's DMC, the initials of my name, will be the devastating Mike Controller, who turns into the king of rock that is. So it was the comic books that gave me the confidence to be Daryl. Next, alter egos. Thor is the son of Odin from Asgard. He got a brother named Loki and he got a hammer. In this real world, I'm Daryl. I'm from Hollis. I got a father named Bifred and I got a microphone. If you get my first issue and you open the page, it's me going, I'm DMC and the place to be, I go to St. John's University. And then you open up the next page, I'm sitting on a horse with my sword. I'm the king of rock. There is none higher. I'm the son of Byford, brother of Al. The whole alter ego dual personality thing. Christopher Wallace is the B.I.G. Carlton Riding Hour from Adelphi University is a graphic art student who became the front man for one of the greatest musical entities called Public Enemy. So the music and the comic book similarities, we were normal everyday individuals, these black and Latino kids who was able to create powerful identities for ourselves to be represented in a world that didn't acknowledge us. When Daryl began working on his comic books, he was actually surprised some of the most talented creators wanted to work with him. They're like, yeah, because this is like hip hop. <laughs> so it's like them getting a chance to make a record with me. So people ask me, what's harder, making a comic book or making a record? For me, I'm like, it's the same thing. So you know how there's some really, really talented rappers, but they just can't get a deal. Usually not until someone in the C-suite who's not connected to the culture sees they're profitable. Daryl says the same thing happens in the comic book and fantasy worlds. When the Black Panther came out, I was getting phone calls off the hook to take my book to the movie screen. But they didn't want to take it there because it means something and it represents something. They just want to cash in the fact that black superheroes are in now. Imagine what it's like for lesser known creators of color. From publishing deals to speaking on panels at comic conventions, Daryl sees how they're put in a box. You don't see us on those consistently. You gotta be on the Asian creator one if you're Asian. You gotta be on the black one if you're black. Daryl, of course, represented at New York City's 2022 Comic-Con, signing autographs, speaking on panels, being amongst the comic fandom. He's never dealt with overt racism in any of these spaces, but he acknowledges that's because of who he is. I wanted to understand how Black con-goers felt about the inclusivity of the industry, so one of the podcast producers, Dempsey Pilat, who is obsessed with comics, spoke with people who were at the convention. Now's a great time to be a comic book fan. We got Black Panther, Falcon. What is your favorite comic book character? Spider-Man. How do you feel about Miles Morales? I think that's an excellent choice for Spider-Man, and, and, and I like the diversity about it. I like Miles Morales. I like the fact that he's half black and half Puerto Rican, and he's in Harlem. Him going to the bodega, having a bodega cat, you know what I mean, as his alley. Like, that's so relatable. How many bodegas did you go and you always see a cat in the corner? Who is your favorite character? It would have to be Storm. It was the first time I ever saw a woman who was black and strong 
in a position of power. I think there can definitely be more women of color in main roles. There are a lot of independent authors who are creating these characters. The issue is they're not really well known. What do you think can be done? Just because someone is written a certain way doesn't mean that it has to be played by what that person looks like in the book. Another way, reaching out to more screenwriters who are people of color and getting their narrative, which is very important because I, as a black woman, cannot say I can write about someone who's an indigenous person. I, I don't know their history and their background. My name is David Crownson, and uh, I'm the writer-creator of Harriet Tubman Demon Slayer. It just started out as a fun idea. Like, I saw a bunch of racist, like, dudes, like, bullying. Uh, like a Muslim woman at Walmart. I just was like, nah, like, racists should be scared. This is the, the ultimate revisionist history. <laughs> Do you still think that there's more work to be done? I want to see more black executives, like, or just other people of color working behind the scene. Like, my next book, Nightmare in Newark, is about, it's like a fun alien invasion story about a girl who's coming out to her family. In the middle of her coming out to her family, an alien invasion erupts in her town. So she has to survive an alien invasion and come out to her family. So like, fun fun story, right? Yeah. And, but I don't have that background experience of like, I'm a very straight man, but I just thought it was a fun idea. So it helps that like, my editor is a queer black woman. So she can help me with that insight of telling this story. calling it Game of Thrones, but it's just an extension of the first show of my it's opinion. It's all Game of Thrones. It's, it's all it's House of Dragons. <laughs> Hilton George is the creator and CEO of BlurredCon, a convention that celebrates Black nerd culture. It's super inclusive. Queer folks, disabled folks, POC, and for a reason, Hilton believes fantasy is where doors should be open. Fantasy is supposed to be something that transcends our own limitations on how we see ourselves. Afrofuturism is an example where seeing ourselves as evolved and better in the future is a aspirational influence on what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And it can make you inspired to learn in school and get a degree or open a business or be creative in your art form. But if you are kept out of that opportunity to see yourself ahead or outside of yourself better than yourself in certain ways, it's hard to empower yourself. It's hard to be an empowered community if you do not have those visuals. And that's why it's so important. Racism and microaggressions exist in the comic book and fantasy worlds. In just the past few months, some white fans have complained about the addition of black elves, a mermaid, and dragon riders in various fantasy TV shows or movies. Critics labeled this type of inclusion as woke culture. Hilton says the industry is just reversing and correcting what should have been done decades ago. There are white people in fandoms who thought that they were the only ones in the fandom, and therefore it belongs to them. And here come all these people that they didn't know were in the fandom and therefore think that they're all new to the fandom who now think that, oh my gosh, you know, you're coming here trying to take something from me. You're taking my characters and you're trying to race switch them to fit some weird agenda, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's what's so negative about it because it just inspires the worst attributes of people. And it leads to other things. You know, when you feel like someone is coming into your space and taking something from you, you know, that inspires fear, resentment, even hatred. And, you know, that's kind of driving people into these little incel pockets and these little 
racism pockets and neo-Nazi and nationalism. You know, we don't necessarily connect the dots when it comes to the nerd space because we kind of consider ourselves to be evolved. But this is all one continuum. And here's why this representation matters. Comic books help children learn. That was true for both Daryl and Hilton. When I would go to a school and then we would go into English class and someone would ask me to spell a word or define a word and I just had this vocabulary that was like leaps and bounds above everybody around me and nobody could really understand what it was about. And I said, well, I've seen that word before. I know what it means. I know what the words look like. In comic books, when someone uses a complicated scientific term, like you might have a Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four, you know, the most intelligent person in the Marvel Universe, will use all kinds of what we call $10 words. But you would see him applying that visually as he is saying the word, which gave you that comprehension of, oh, that's what this word means. Dan Lee was brilliant. He put the superheroes really in New York City. So when I opened a Marvel comic book, it was real to me. And I learned about the Lower East Side. I learned about Elf's Kitchen. So not only did I see characters I could identify with, but I got a geography lesson about the city I lived in. I couldn't leave the block, but Stan Lee educated me. Comics can also teach self-acceptance. I was awkward. I was nerdy. A straight-A student that wore glasses who went to Catholic school that read comic books. I wasn't in a gang. I wasn't playing hooky. When I saw Peter Parker, it's awkward. When I saw Tony Starks, when I saw Bruce Banner fighting, I saw myself. That's why representation is so important, even in fictional worlds. That's why kids of colors love Bruce Lee so much, because he wasn't John Wayne. We gravitated toward kung fu movies for the struggle of good and evil. It was nothing for us to see ourselves, because the majority of time in movies and culture and literature, we were either Africans in the jungle or slaves. We was disrespected, disregarded, not even considered worthy of being heroic. So when Stan Lee gave Steve Rogers, one of my favorite superheroes, a black partner, it allowed us to go, oh, we're here too? But it still wasn't enough because it wasn't everywhere we looked. In the 70s, during the black exploitation era, white America defined to black America what blackness was. It was cool, it was jive, it was being able to kick anybody in the ass in the streets, it was being mean, it was being scary, it was getting all the girls. You know, that's what blackness was. And we bought into it. So when you come in on the nerd space, which quite frankly, in a lot of ways is seen or is in actuality, you know, antithetical to that, you know, there's a little more intellectualism, there's a little bit more of a, of a anti-social aspect to it, you know, maybe not having that smoothness, maybe not having, you know, all of that, that physicality that is seen to be blackness. And, you know, the intellectualism, you know, is kind of seen as, you know, nerdism, which is also then seen as white. So that, that thread still continues in parts of our community. That's part of why Hilton created BlurredCon. While Black people are not a monolith, Hilton wanted a space where Black members of fandom could find pieces of themselves. So how did he start an entire convention? Well, he already had experience working with events. So in college, I was what is commonly known as a low-budget puff daddy. <laughs> 
I was the guy who was constantly throwing the after party <laughs> to the basketball game right, or right, right. if it was homecoming, whatever it was. He left college, began working professionally, had disposable income, loved cosplay, and was going to all the conventions. Seriously, dozens a year. And I started to notice the guest list didn't have anyone that looked like me. And the panels didn't have any subject matter or were not proctored by anyone who looked like me. But yet and still, I would look out on the con floor and I would see chunks and, and scores of black people, you know, who are participating. And I was kind of like, wow, you know, if the audience is here, you know, if the attendees are here and are black, like, why are we not represented in the programming? And I said to myself in my own head, I said, it'd be really cool if someone made a con that was focused specifically on black nerds. So he did. He liquidated his 401k, went through savings, and using his own words, lived in abject poverty for a period of time. But it was worth it. So what does this look like? Early on, you know, we had a lot of debates and a lot of fights and a lot of discussions about what a blurred con is supposed to be and what black people in the nerd space actually want to see. And that back and forth, you know, was really the angst and the fight because it's a constant push and pull. We as black people, you know, we, we do some really black stuff that we don't even think of as black until we put it into a white context. Playing spades is not something that would cause clutch pearls at your house at any gathering of black people, right? But if you go to a convention and someone says we're having a spades tournament, everyone turns into Fred G. Sanford and they're having a heart attack like, what the? Oh, my God, I can't believe what I just heard. And da, 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 da. And that's a, that can be a positive or a negative, but you don't know till you throw it out there. Right. And so how black, you know, can we throw this out without sounding or looking as if we're being sarcastic or you know, making a caricature of a con. This circles back to the similarities between the comic world and hip hop. For years, rappers complained about being pigeonholed, feeling like they can only be seen as the type of artist to do one type of music. Hilton says some of the black creatives and influencers with large followings avoid blurred con because they're afraid of the same thing. There's this long running story about Clive Davis and his relationship to Whitney Houston and this argument from the black community that her music's not black enough, it's all pop, and she's got this soulful voice, and Clive Davis was like, her music is for everybody, and you know, it doesn't have to be you know, specifically R&B for black people. And I think that at the top levels of agency and representation, Hollywood, you know, you have that mindset. You know, they're like, oh, we don't want our artists pigeonholed as a black actor or actress, and therefore, you know, they might not gravitate to you know, an invitation to come to a convention called the Black Nerd Convention. He says those who run some of the other conventions are also afraid of alienating their base. For most conventions, you know, the base is white. I've had discussions with con runners. They're like, we're really interested in being more diverse and being more inclusive, but we want to do it in such a way that doesn't alienate our white base. My argument with that has always been is that everybody likes black shit. Like everything we do is consumed by everyone. Planning for next year's Blurred Con is already underway. The convention was doing great since it was founded back in 2017 until the pandemic. It survived, and he believes 
2023 will be like the 2020 he expected, but its challenge may be its audience. Having people coming out of their homes. You know, nerds are introverts. They got real comfortable in the house. You know, right. people were buying new TVs, <laughs> PlayStations. They don't want to leave. These people want to stay home. Oh, you got to come out into the sun and it's burning your eyes. You don't know what that big ball of light is in the sky and there's animals running around and like noises everywhere. Jokes aside, the past few years were a challenge for BlurredCon, which is kind of similar to when hip hop artists or really any artists try to get their start. A lesson from Daryl, there's opportunity for growth during the tough parts of life. When we first started, the majority of Run DMC that shows that we did for our first year was for free because they didn't believe. It was like, where's the band? And we point at Jay standing there with records. And when we started getting $1,200, $1,500, the promoters would be like, I'm paying y'all $1,500 to play records on stage? Yup. We only had 20 minutes, but that's all we needed. And when we left the stage after 20 minutes, that audience would bring them back. Run DMC made something that brought joy. That was the focus, even when they were playing for free. As more black characters are created and more blurs enter into the comics and fantasy spaces, Hilton wants joy to be their focus too. The thing that I, I try to, to uh, impart to anyone who asks me about this is that your fandom does not have to be a business. It doesn't have to be something that makes you money. It just has to be something that brings you joy. Your space in the nerd space should not be measured just by how many clicks you get, or if you get any sponsorships, or if you get any recognition. If you're doing something that you love, eventually the people who resonate with it will come along. And as black people in a space where we are beset on all sides by negative forces that are trying to tell us that this isn't our space, or that's not our character, or we're not supposed to draw this, or dress like that, or talk this way, or whatever, it really does have to be at your core in order to withstand that headwind. And as diversity increases each year at all the comic spaces, that's what Hilton is excited to see. My hope is that they will embrace one another and that you will see these pockets of community outside of BlurredCon making community in spaces that are not Blurred specific. And that's what communities do. And if I've contributed to that, if BlurredCon has contributed to that, then that would be a success in my view. Daryl's impact on the culture cannot be overstated. From inspiring rap and clothing collabs. I said, Ma Adidas, walk through concert doors. To deepening the connection between hip hop and comics. I'm dropping a comic book called Me, Myself, and My Microphone with a song to go with it. And in the comic book, it's me, DMC, Chuck D, a public enemy, Ice-T, and DJ Jazzy Jeff, and underground God MC Bumpy Knuckles as superheroes. That's a legendary list. He's also planning his own convention. Daryl makes comics, comic concerts. Well, we're gonna put on a con, but it'll be different from every con. At the end of the three or four days, there's gonna be a concert. This is his joy. He gets to help others, like the elementary students he's been volunteering with for years, and now all the kids who will read his new book filled with lessons important to Daryl. You're perfect just the way you are. And because you're a little awkward and confused and stuff like that, your characteristics will allow you to do whatever it is that you want to do in life. You are mightier than Thor. You're more amazing than Spider-Man. He's also happy he gets to help creatives. The goal, making it better for the next generation. I want every creative color 
to get the same respect, opportunity, and positioning that I get. That's what I'm trying to break down. Thanks so much for listening. Beyond Black History Month is a special production of 1010 Wins and WCBS News Radio 880. If you're enjoying our series, please rate and review our podcast. It helps us in the podcast rankings. Special thanks to producers Joe Webb and Dempsey Pilat, who also field produced this piece. Andy Egan Thorpe is our audio engineer. And I'm Femi Redwood. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.